generally the lack of it in uh, cricket writing and uh, you were interested in expressing your take on the state of long form features in cricket and so here we are you have reported on cricket for a while now and are the editor of wisden india now yeah. why do you think there is a distinct lack of long form features as part of, part of the general narrative see subhash i'll just start off by giving you some simple numbers i've been uh, writing on cricket now for 13 years i think in that time if you ask me how many match reports or match related comments i've done the number would be thousands i have no idea it would be in many thousands mm-hmm. if you ask me how many long form features i've done and I, by long form i mean anything over 2000 words uh, i could probably not fit them into the fingers if two hands but uh i'd say less than 20 mm. i'd say less than 20 so that that gives you some kind of idea i think it's uh, completely related to to the demand for long form writing and maybe people uh like uh, your listeners who love right thompson's work i'm one of them but the numbers uh, those numbers are far fewer than the ones who want your your typical uh Virat Kohli asks for turning pitches against England or a free these slams tendulkar kind of headline unfortunately that's what the greater demand is for and and that's what most publications provide has there been a scientific study or actual poll done of uh, readers is it because there is no demand from readers or is it because there is not enough writing that the cricket readers that have grown up especially with the internet haven't been exposed to that see uh, subhash i can only give you numbers right i mean i i don't know what the numbers are for wisden india yet because we're not really big enough but i i can look back my time with uh, cricket for the numbers there were startlingly different uh, again just to give you an example i remember once the first time i i checked the web numbers actually was during the the 2006 india pakistan series across the border and i'd done match report i think for the pechawa one day international something where where sachin scored 100 after the indulkar headlines and that match report was read by 700000 people 700000 page views rather but this was six and a half years ago and i imagine the numbers are way up on that now Uh, at the same time uh, i was features editor of cricket for for a year in between i think 2006 and we had some really great writing that uh, right wasn't there at the time obviously he's, he's fairly new to cricket but i'm talking about people like uh, dian hague uh, rahul bhatcharya 
I mean, people who can really write. On a good week, you'd be lucky if those features were read by, uh, or if those just got 40 to 50,000 page views. Mm. But that's not insignificant, but you can understand why. You said 40, 50,000 page views. I mean, and you said that's it's not insignificant. No, it's but, not insignificant. But uh, from what we see, you know, it's still Gideon, uh, Haig, once in a while you can see in uh, different platforms does these long-form articles. But other than, outside of him, it's quite rare to find anybody actually putting in an effort. Okay, we don't have any demand for it, so we won't put it. I mean, it, that sort of writing, it's good for the writers as well as, you know, whether it's 40,000, 50,000 people. And, you know, the uh, editor he still has a responsibility to, to a form of journalism rather than, you know, leaving it for dead. Would you think so? <laughs> Don't, don't get me wrong. As a reader, I'm as someone who writes. I love the long form essay. I mean, I love doing it. Uh, some of the most fun I've had in journalism is doing these longer stories. I remember seven pages with Shoaiba for Princess Sport, uh, a long uh, story with Brian Lara when we were in Malaysia a few years ago. Uh, those kind of stories and features are great fun to do. But uh, at the end of the day, you have also have to look at the economics of it. Uh, when I'm a staff writer working for a magazine, it's obviously a lot easier for the editor to call me up and say, look, I want you to do this story. But unfortunately, the, the number of people who can pull off these kind of stories is also very few. Let's face it, feature writing, writing a 5,000 to 10,000 word essay, keeping it interesting, uh, keeping reader engaged for that long is a, is a great Itself, which is what makes somebody like Wright Thompson so special. And not everyone can do that. So you find very few writers out there who can pull it off. You'll find a Wright, you'll find a, a, a Gideon, uh, you'll find Raul Bhattacharya, who did a fantastic piece on Mary Com for Intelligent Life a few months ago. You'll find people like that. But they're also A-list writers. You need to pay them that kind of money now. I'll give you some hint of the economics involved. Uh, a 10,000-word story uh, for a magazine like Inside Sport, for example, where they pay 60 cents a word, mm -hmm. would set you back $6,000. Uh, with $6,000, I could probably uh, fund three tours within India. So uh, you're talking about a fair bit of money, and if you say at the end of it all, you might get only between 15,000 and 50,000 page views, then your account guys are going to come back to you and say you're crazy. I mean, Not always hands is what I'm saying. I mean, you have to justify the spend somehow. Okay. Uh, let's look from the reader's point of view. I mean, you're saying you're not getting enough page views to justify hiring uh, an A-list writer to... Get, give you that uh, long-form article. Now, why would you think that there is not enough market for it? You know, is it because the cricket reader, the fan, the consumer hasn't been exposed to that, or what is it? What is it that makes it more viable in, say, United States and not in uh, the cricket world? See, I, I, I pretend that it's in terms of simple numbers. I mean, the last time, I, I don't, I, I have no idea about the numbers now, but when I checked a few years ago, 
I think Sports Illustrated shifted something like 20 million copies a year. That's huge. I mean, we, when we had this major cricket magazine from the, which later became Cricket Info magazine, it was a struggle just to sell uh, a few thousand copies. Forget uh, getting up to 20 million a year, it was a struggle to sell a few thousand. Now, that's part of the problem. If you're asking me, is there not enough uh, good long-form writing out there because there's no demand for it or are readers not reading it because they're not used to the format? I, I don't really know. It could be a bit of both. Mm -hmm. But still, the economics of it uh, balances out somehow. It's very hard. I mean, magazine can send right out to, to do just one story in Sri Lanka mm -hmm. or go to New Paris and, and, or, or Rosario rather and chase in a Messi's route, and they can do that because they have uh, the economic strength to do it. I mean, they have a, a, a successful magazine, they have a very successful website. Until uh, and, and, and unless you have either of these, it's very difficult to, to spend that kind of money on, on one story. I'd love to, trust me, I would, I, I would love nothing more than to do a proper story on, on why such an, such a phenomenon in India. I don't think it's ever been done. From, from a common man's perspective, why is he so big? I tried doing that once, actually. For, I don't want to name names. I tried doing a piece on, on why he matters so much to the average common fan. Mm -hmm. uh, those are the kind of things where the editor comes back and then tells you, you know, that sounds a bit too self-indulgent. We don't want to go down that route. We'd rather get quotes from Shane Warner or Dennis Lee. It's kind of... It's kind of... <laughs> well, because... You end up doing the same kind of stories again and again, not because you want to, but that's because what that's what you're told to do. So it's a clusterfuck from all sides. Then, I mean, there is not enough readers. Readers haven't been exposed, yeah, and see, what, there is not enough money in it. Around the only way I can see around this is to uh, is to promote long form writing from within. Uh, when you have your own staff covering shows, you, you try and encourage them to do as many features as possible and spend as much time as possible. That That's one way to do it, because that obviously cuts down the cost involved and you don't have to pay a, a writer for that. Uh, that's one way of making it viable. But again, uh, finding people who can pull out these stories is not that easy. How does the access you know let's say you want to you know tomorrow wisdom india is interested in have sending a reporter to chase down stories about the functioning of bcci the backroom politicking uh, all the backroom deals so on and so forth how much access do you actually have zero Zero. I mean, whatever we got would be through uh, clandestine means. It would be from people maybe leaking documents or telling things on the phone. It would be nothing official. And and that's, that's the problem with uh, player profiles as well. I, I think I I heard a, a question in the right interview about, you know, the access that he has to, to players and to teams. And uh, there's absolutely no comparison. I mean, uh, I don't know if you remember the, the Fly on the Wall documentary that the New York Jets did a couple of seasons ago. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, it was, uh, was pre-season and Rex Ryan and the entire team were basically open to the crew. And they walked into the locker room, they'd, they'd shoot practice, they'd, they'd shoot what they wanted, basically. Mm -hmm. and, and it was 
incredible. It was amazing to watch. And I just remember feeling so envious at the time because that's the kind of access you just do not get anymore. I don't think we've ever got that, to be honest. I mean, if you're lucky, if you've been working in the profession long enough and certain players trust you enough, they will uh, you know, talk to you for an hour or two max. But beyond that, you know, following them through a week of training or uh, w walking into their homes, walking into their hotel rooms, watching them train in the gym, you know, doing a sort of week in the life kind of story, I'd say that's impossible. And that is because? Because of, of restrictions. I mean, now uh, the rules that we have, uh, I think, with the BCCI is that you cannot even contact a pair for an interview during your series. If you do, uh, it's at your risk and the pair's risk. I mean, if, it, if they find out that you've done a one-on-one -on -one during the series, it can, it can get both of you into a fair bit of trouble. I mean, I understand that, you know, like you, you, if you want to uh, talk to a player during the series, you have to go through the board, the media manager, and understand. See, a lot of players might want to talk to you, but board rules uh, prevent them from doing that. And, and let's get one thing straight. It's not just the BCCI. It's, it's equally true of uh, BCB or Cricket Australia. Whichever board it is, you have to go through the board, mm -hmm. the media manager, whoever it is, to get permission uh, to get the, the setting started out, in some cases they'll even ask you for questions, which which annoys me no end because I don't think they have any going through the questions that you want to ask because good interviews are invariably spontaneous. Like sometimes you get an answer that you need to follow up on, you can't just uh, stick to a set script. Why is this? I mean, in a way, cricket, the way cricket is run, uh, marketed, and the way discovered, everything seems to be, you know, at least a generation or two behind the rest of the world. See, I'll explain it in one very simple sentence. Why is American sport the way it is? Why is it structured the way it is? Why do journalists like Wright have the access that they do? Because they've understood the biggest truth that sport lives and dies by the fans. Mm-hmm. Without, without those guys who are spending, I don't know, how many thousands of dollars a season tickets or how many hundreds for a game, for the entire game experience, without those guys, your sport does not exist. I mean, you'll be playing on empty ballparks in front of empty bleachers, and, and nobody will care. There'll be no ESPN TV deal. There'll be no nothing. Until and unless Chris uh, realizes that, uh, we're in big trouble. And I think... It's only a matter of time before the TV broadcast bubble and everything else bursts till you recognize the primacy of the fan. Like, we have seen that fans somehow always end up getting the uh, you know, rough end of the deal. So do you see a breaking point where the fans will say, you know what, uh, chuck it, I'm going to go follow some other sport, I'm no longer interested in cricket? I think we're already on the verge of that. I was watching the Indian Grand Prix on Sunday, uh, and there were 75,000 people in there. And some of them were, had, had paid, I think, 35,000 rupees or something for a grandstand ticket. Now, that's a lot more than you would pay for your average uh, cricket ticket. Mm -hmm. And I recognize that it's a different demographic that probably follows uh, Formula One is compared to cricket, but there's also a huge amount of crossover now if you look at the major cities. 
if you look at the average Chennai Super Kings fan or the Mumbai Indians, Indians fan, a lot of them will also be into sports like F1 and English Premier League football and uh, the NBA, stuff like that. And if you don't move with the times and make an effort to keep those fans within the fold, they will eventually walk away. If they're not getting bang to their buck, whether that's while going into a stadium or reading stuff online or visiting the official website, they'll say, why the, why the hell should I put up with this? In your opinion, are the uh, people that are running uh, the sport aware of this? They should be, right? I mean, if it's so obvious, they should be aware of it and should be taking remedial measures. They should be, Sebastian. Unfortunately, the attitude that I've seen, and this is, again, not just Indian administrators, it's across the world. Mm -hmm. The attitude that I've generally seen is that, you know, it's not our mess. We've signed this lucrative deal for four years. Mm -hmm. After that, care what happens because I'm out of here by then. You know, as long as that's the attitude, no, no sport is going to progress. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're in charge of TV rights or selection or whatever it is. If, if you're not looking more than those two or four years ahead, then your sport's going to stall at the end of that. For the benefit of the fan, I hope that happens, actually. So that, you know, they no, realize mean, what's I, important. The original discussion, I mean, I, I would love to see a situation where there is much more long-form writing uh, out of India. I mean, I'm not even thinking about 10,000-word features. Now, I'm just thinking about your average 1,500 to 2,000-word well-researched, uh, fresh copy about, say, a player like uh, Virat Kohli or, or a fresh Raina. I mean, somebody spending a week to two weeks on the subject to give us something that we haven't read before. Even something like that would be a breakthrough as far as I'm concerned because even that kind of writing is is woefully lacking in, in the Indian media right now. And I and I include Wisdom India and everyone else in that newspapers, websites, everyone gets trapped in this culture of uh, you know, Reno wants revenge for Cornell England drubbing, uh, Virat <laughs> wants winning pitches. Uh, Finn has a thigh injury. It, it's, it's a news now kind of mindset, which really doesn't... I don't know what the, the average fan gets from that. Uh, I know there's a lot of readership for it, but, but do you, at the end of the day, really just want to read that kind of stuff? Because no. it'd be quite depressing if that was the case. I personally don't. Uh, but I was, that's where I was headed uh, in terms of a discussion. It's almost, uh, almost a year since Wisden India was formed and almost six months since uh, the uh, Wisden India website has been operating. In what ways do you think Wisden India has added to the cricket coverage? You know, how do you think you have distinguished yourselves from other uh, online cricket portals such as you know, Crickinfo or CrickBuzz or any other such entity? I, I don't think we've reached a stage where we can uh, quite uh, differentiate ourselves yet. One thing I've tried to do uh, with the, the columnists we have in house and uh, the ones I've hired subsequently is to basically give them a voice and, and not give them uh, too many guidelines. I don't want to dictate what they write. I mean, people, I know we've had this discussion in the past about how I wrote something somewhere and 
my almanac editor wrote something else, which was a different point of view, and, and somebody found a problem with that. But I actually want that kind of situation where columnists are free to express themselves and their opinions as strongly as possible, whether that's pro-BCCI or anti-BCCI or pro-Cricket Australia <laughs> or whatever. Um, if you're asking me what we're going to do for, for long-form writing, I think the only solution for now as I told you earlier, is to, is to try and build up a group of writers in-house who will focus on those kind of stories and, and hopefully get them to you over the next few months. We do have a big series coming up, like like this current England one, uh, Australia coming to town, there's a Women's World Cup in between. So hopefully over the course of these three series, you will see more lengthy features and, and, and a better reading experience than your average uh, you know, somebody X gets a size train, Y wants to some kind of story. <laughs> so if you had a writer, one of your stable of writers, or somebody, let's say a freelance guy, comes up to you and pitches a story that, listen, I want to do a story about why Sachin matters so much to an average yeah. Indian fan, you'd say, go for it? I would I would say go for it. Subject to uh, budgetary clearance, hmm. it, it it does come down to that at the end of the day. Because like I said, uh, if I spend that much on a feature and at the end of it, two thousand people read it, then that will be the last time I get to commission such a thing. <laughs> well, you know, but you have to. Uh, you have to be willing to take a punt sometimes, you know. No, we have to. I mean, all I can hope for is that we put a story like that out there and people like you and whoever else is listening on the show pushes that story. I mean, they put it out there, make sure enough people read it for it to be worthwhile. I mean, that's the only way. I mean, we, we have to help each other here. Yeah, I, mean, I, I understand that. No. But do you, do you foresee a, a time frame or do you have a time frame in mind where you think, well, you know... Uh, Two years from now, I'll be in a much better position where I definitely think I can push for this distinct way of covering cricket uh, than run-of-the-mill, you know, 500, 800-word post that you generally see in a lot of cricket sites. See, uh, if I'm still in this job in, in two years' time, I, I can constantly tell you that what you get to read on with India and associated publications, whether that's the Almanac or... Uh, with Nextra that we put out will be very different from what you read elsewhere in the market. I can promise you that. If you pick up the cop uh, the first copy of the Whitman India Almanac, which will be uh, out in the stores in December mm -hmm. and also available online at the end of December, you'll see uh, the extent of good writing we have in that. And 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 I'm, that's something I'm really proud of, the, the kind of writing that we've got together in the first edition. Uh, I, I won't mention names right now, but if you're a fan of long-form writing, uh, that almanac will definitely be worth buying. I can guarantee that. But, but again, it comes back to economics. Because it's a book and because we can actually sell it in the market, it makes slightly more sense for us to invest in, you know, A-list writers writing those essays. When you're a website and your economics are a lot more blurred, it's, it's just slightly harder. But that doesn't mean we're not going to try. Okay. Um, I wanted to uh, talk a little bit about the issue of access. Uh, 
there was an article on Wisdom India thing published on October 23rd by Anjali Doshi. It was titled Access Baggage. Yeah. I want you to uh, give me your take on it uh, because she had said in, said in that article, and I quote, the Indian media is easily swayed by the access uh, players offer journalists. And the moment India, st- you know, anyone came to uh, Dhoni, you know, there was a lot of, uh, you know, hunky-dory, happy coverage of him. And then the moment India started to lose, the lack of access had resulted in vicious attacks about his poor captaincy. What is your uh, take on that? You know, as someone that has covered cricket for well over a decade. I, I, I agree completely with her views on that. Uh, it's something that I've noticed. Now, uh, I'm a neutral observer in this because though Dhoni's been playing for, what, eight years now, I haven't interviewed him. I, I wouldn't say I've done a proper interview with him more than once. Mm-hmm. And that, too, is a snatch, two or three question thing. In the stand, Chepok, I, I think the day before he made his test debut. So I, I wouldn't even call that an interview. So in eight years, I've never really talked to him. And I don't mind that. I mean, I understand the fact that, especially in his situation, the way he came into the team, the way the captaincy was suddenly thrust on him, the way he subsequently handled it, if that's the way he prefers to do things, I respect that. I mean, all players are different. I mean, you have to... You have to get some allowance for that. I mean, um, I've interviewed Tendulkar, I think, five or six times, and, and long interviews every time. But uh, there's no way I can pretend that I have the sort of access to him that I do to, say, maybe a, a Raul Javed or a Vivian Lakshman or, or even an Anil Kumble. I, I just don't. And I, you have to understand that different players operate differently. And if you if you start getting vindictive about that, which unfortunately is what a section of the media has done, mm-hmm. because they don't have access to Dhoni, I think that's frankly pathetic. I mean, there's no other word I can think of. I, I, the way I see it as an outsider, is it's a double-edged sword. Journalists don't hold their end of the bargain. For example, uh, some, something that pops to my head immediately was during the uh, Rahul Dravid retirement uh, press conference in... Uh, in um, Bangalore, he gives an opening, uh, you know, he had some prepared notes. And then the first question asked is about the alleged rift in the team. I mean, yeah. who, I don't know who that asked the question, the guy that asked the, or uh, the journalist that asked the question, but the guy has no sense of timing occasion. And then, you know, he, it became a free-for-all, and then, uh, you know, somebody's asking about Sachin's retirement during... Rahul Dravid's retirement announcement. I, I I don't want to judge how our journalists operate because that's, it's not something that interests me. But I'll just say this. A lot of people who are sent to press conferences by their channels or their newspapers are specifically told, bring us this angle. And, mm. and, and that that's something that you need to blame the editors for. Because one of my staff that asked that question about drifting the Ultimately, the blame comes back to me mm-hmm. because I not told them to do that. Mm. I think I think editors, sports editors across the country, have to take responsibility for such questions. And and it's not just retirement. And I, I think back to a Champions Trophy game in 2006, where uh, India beat England quite comfortably. They're chasing 125 or something, 122 at one stage, then lost a few wickets. Uh, rush, but still one with 20 to spare. 
and at that time, Andrew Flintoff was a huge hero because of his ashes-winning feats in 2005. Okay. And he came to the press conference first, and uh, he was handled with kid gloves by the English media, you know, laughing, joking, questions, and he went off in about five minutes, and, and Rahul was next. And the first question, if you can even call it a question, was, <laughs> about the flop, what do you think of that? <laughs> and this is a captain just won a game. I mean, you have to bear that in mind. First game of the tournament, captains won the game. And your first question is not even a question. It's a statement which you expect him to respond to. And obviously, his mood changed completely after that. He answered questions in very sullen fashion. He left after the questions were over. And I remember as he walked off, uh, him saying to himself, you wouldn't think, you wouldn't know which captain had won the game. And he was right to think that. He was right to be peeved about the way the whole press conference had gone. Every, I mean, people complain about access, lack of access. I mean, for example, you know, to write long-form features, you're going to need this access. But at the same time, uh, you know, if you need access, you have to also behave in a way that you've earned the right to access. This Completely. I mean, the, the journalists who still have access to the bigger players who get to do fairly lengthy features with them mm -hmm. are the ones they trust. Uh, the ones they know won't stir up stuff or will not spin the entire interview around one controversial sentence and make something out of that. They need to trust you to give you that kind of access. And because of that, like you said, it works both ways. You, As a journalist, you have to behave responsibly enough to earn that trust. I'm not saying you write only uh, positive PR kind of pieces about them, but at the same time, if, if you're objective, you're okay. If you're objective and you're honest and true to your, yourself and your profession, you're okay. Mm -hmm. It's only when you go in to do a story with a specific agenda that uh, your editor has given you, that's when you get into trouble. And I know all sorts of examples of editors calling up uh, correspondents in the field and saying, oh, this Tenuka didn't do this for us. Let's finish him. Let's do a, a story that says, you know, what a crappy finisher he is or how he's never won match different. Go ahead and do that. And trust me, I've seen those kind of things done. And that's not only really wrong, it's unethical, and you have no business calling yourself a journalist after you've commissioned a story like that. <laughs> Right. One last question, and then uh, I'll let you go, Dilip. Um, in the meantime, when you said, you know, if you were still at the job that you have now for two years, then you're, you're, you were confident that, uh, you know, you'll be pushing towards long-form features. In the meantime, do you, does Wisden India have in its plans to have freelancers, you know, that pitch in a story, they do their own research, uh, right? 1,500 to 2,000 word articles, and you'll be open to publishing them. See, if, you, if you're if you going off to the West Indies and you manage to get hold of, say, off the top of my head, I'm thinking Brian Lara or Andy Roberts or somebody like that, or, or say a Kirtley Ambrose who hardly ever talks to anyone, mm -hmm. and you call me up and say, look, I've got this story for you, and, and do I have a week or two to work on it and send it your way, chances are I would definitely be interested. I mean, I'm already talking to, to freelancers about these things. We've got uh, Anjali on board as a freelance columnist. Uh, 
a lot of the others are also freelancers in Michael Holding, uh, W.B. Raman. All of them are, none of them are part of my staff. I mean, they're all freelancers. Obviously, not, not any of them have done long-form essays so far. Maybe that's not their forte, but that does not mean that I'm not looking at other people who can do that for me in the future. Okay. I mean, those guys are like big names. I was talking about, you know, guys that run cricket blogs, that have their own blogs, and they write well. And if they hear this conversation, they may be, they may have an idea or a trip planned, whatever. So, you know, they could get in touch with you. They can. I mean, nothing stopping them. I've just been in uh, in a correspondence with a guy based in Australia who is covering the Bradman uh, Awards, and he's going to send across some stories from that. And 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 I'm hoping there'll be a good read. I haven't seen them yet. I'm hoping there'll be a good read. And I'm always open. My email is out there. People can write to me. Uh, and if there's, if there's something interesting uh, which is worth doing and which we feel you know, is not going to cost us years to do, then we'll do it. Cool. On that note, Dilip, uh, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure. Good, good to do this again. Fantastic. And I uh, hope we can uh, talk again. Thanks a lot. Couch Talk.